G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Here we are on the psychiatrist's couch and looking at how we identify and become balanced, integrated and aligned with our life purpose. Well, as Christians, we're aware that God has a mission and we're on that mission with him. So insights today on what's happening in a process of change. Well, some of us struggle with questions like, why am I here? Who am I? How am I? And how do I change? Well, our special guest today is a psychiatrist who has written a number of books dealing with these issues. Dr. John Warlow is an adult, child and family psychiatrist. He developed what's known as a Christian Wholeness Framework. And for 10 years, he directed the child's, the training in child and adolescent psychiatry for the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists in the state of Queensland. His two latest books are called The Cure for Life. Part one is all about the God-centered transformation and part two is about God-centered relationships. I want to make a special, special welcome to Dr. John Warlow. John, welcome along. Neil, it's a real privilege and pleasure to be here. Just recently, John, we uh, did a short interview segment and we're talking about the launch of your two books. There's a trilogy of these books. The third one is still in in the making, but the first two, The Cure for Life, uh, we were talking about this just a month or two ago. Uh, how have things gone since your launch? Well, thank you, uh, Neil. The, the books are out there now. You can get them from Kurong or online at uh, um and they're, they're getting out there, um, so it's going well. And I should say that these are not the first books that you've written because you've been a psychiatrist now for more than 30 years, and along the way you've released a number of books and, and you deal with these sorts of issues of wholeness. Uh, sometimes we think, uh, what is this wholeness thing all about? Uh, why do I need to hear from a psychiatrist with this? I'm just going along in my day-to-day life. I've got my ups and downs and I've got my struggles and there's some things that have shaped me. Some of those things have been good. Some of those things not so good. Uh, I've gone through times of brokenness. I mean, this might be everyone's story. Uh, so this idea of wholeness, how do we understand that as Christian believers? Yeah. This is everyone's story because we can all be moving in further in two directions. One is indeed uh, uh, improving in our knowledge, our skills, our relationships, financially, whatever. But the other, which the Bible says is actually more important, is a second dimension of change, which is towards God-centeredness. And uh, this is a story, this is based on a story, it's my story, where I was not balanced, I was not aligned, I was not whole, I was not a Christian, and I struggled to actually even understand the mind, and that's why I found this picture language, which is now being used, not just here in Australia, even at a professional level, 
But in the small group which we're in, which we run as part of a seasonal connect at Hillsong, it's being used at Creek Road Presbyterian here in uh, pastoral care and overseas there for not just professionals, but for those, for example, who are looking after orphans in Asia. In fact, when you talk about your own story, and I know that there's a story of brokenness in your background, and uh, I think you were born in India. That's right. Uh, all right. So uh, there's a story of brokenness in your own background. Some people are going to relate to that, and perhaps we can get into that a little bit more. But before we do, uh, when we talk about a Christian wholeness, and we want to contrast that with other ways that we might understand these things, uh, some people will say, well, why wouldn't I just listen to some of the popular psychology out there that wants to paint things in all sorts of different ways and, and these things seem to be fluid and they change and then someone comes up with a new idea? What's the difference between a biblically founded idea of wholeness and what uh, popular psychology, even secular psychology, might be telling us? While there is a lot of good in popular psychology and uh, a lot of help and assistance in doing that. What Christian wholeness is about is about that second dimension of change, about a God-centered approach to change. One of the things which I find as a professional psychiatrist which really drags people down is our self-centeredness. Not our God-centeredness, but our self-centeredness. That, And it really obeys the theory of philosophy of evolution, which is survival of the fittest. And so in our attempts to survive, we put down or let down other people. But it's that narcissistic approach, which we all have, which is I in the middle, which is what we call sin, S-I-N-I in the middle, which uh, really hooks us on to uh, struggle and pain. I know that in my life, that when I drift more to self-centeredness and away from a God-centered life, I'm more anxious, I'm more stressed, and so on. You know, sometimes we refer to some terminology and we say, I'm dysfunctional, or I have a dysfunctional family. How do we understand what makes a functional family a functional person? And I imagine, as and I'm, my mind is just running wild as you're talking about these things, because if I recognize this internal dysfunction, this self-centeredness, uh, if I don't get things right, if I don't have transformation, if I don't have change, uh, my family and the generations to follow will all be following in the same dysfunction and perhaps dealing with the same sorts of hurts and brokenness that are in my family. It's easier, Neil, for those who are broken, like I was, those who are alone, like I was, those who struggle to be real about where we're at. And there's a particular shape, one of the five shapes, which uh, used in this picture language of God-centered change, which can be, which for me has been so helpful in helping me to be real, uh, which in essence allows me to pray that prayer, that holistic prayer. I think it's in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's the next level out of the concentric circles. See if there's any wicked way in me, my behavior. Lead me in your way, everlasting. And the 
the process then for me of repentance coming back home is now such a familiar journey. It's a well-trodden path because I can be more real and I can come back home and exchange my shame for his unfailing love, my forgiveness for his guilt, and my despair for his freedom. John, I'm not sure uh, whether this is a divine coincidence that you're here today, but I know that you are aware that in the Parliament, and I'm assuming it's already happened, I'm not following what's actually happening in the Parliament, but the Prime Minister Scott Morrison today is leading a apology, a national apology for those who have been victims of institutionalised abuse, uh, and we're talking about uh, over decade upon decade of these things that have happened. Now, uh, this, I imagine, uh, he's talking about institutionalised abuse. Of course, we're familiar with the church's role in all of those things. And we're familiar with the fact that people who have suffered abuse at the hands of an abuser uh, would be, in some sense, changed their attitudes, all of these sorts of issues of of uh, the heart, uh, really, you know, dislodged and deformed by those areas of abuse. I mean, as I as I think of uh, you coming in here today and us talking about this, and we didn't plan it to be on this day specifically, but. These sorts of things are very significant for people who've suffered abuse, aren't they? Hugely significant, and there's so many people, not just who've suffered abuse in the institution, but one of the most uh, dangerous places, while at the same time the most helpful place, is actually in the home, where a lot of people also suffer abuse. And abuse, whether it's a home, in the marriage, um, or for children and their parents, or in institutions, is the epitome of destruction, of destruction, and it goes right to the heart. Okay, well, when we open the talkback lines, uh, 1-800-316-316, we won't have a specific focus on sexual abuse today, although that may be an area that you might like to talk about uh, for listeners, but we're talking about wholeness and the way we can talk about Christian wholeness, biblical Christian wholeness, and in contrast to some of the other things that you might have even heard about wholeness and with regard to popular psychology and those sorts of things that we were discussing. John, when you talk about a framework, you have some wonderfully easy to follow ways that we can actually do some level of self-assessment and get things right. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit, I know, about uh, what you can drag out of your kitchen cupboards. <laughs> and I hope this is a, a good direction to go right now, just to sort of set the scene, and we might talk some more about this. But if you go to your kitchen cupboard, uh, what sort of things that you might uh, draw out of your cupboard or your drawers uh, could help you actually ap- appreciate what it is to know Christian wholeness? Well, wherever you are right now, just look in front of you. If you're driving, keep your eye on the road, and we'll come to you in a moment if we want, if we need to. But you might have some cups, some plates, some objects, spectacles, whatever. Um, put them. Put. Try and get four of those, and put uh, two. Uh, so you get a, a square of, of two rows with um, one above the other, and then two columns. Well, um, 
uh, and sorry, two rows, one side by side, and then uh, two, two columns. So you have a matrix of four, whatever it is, uh, in front of you, and that this is a place to start. All right. Well, well, there might be some who who are, uh, in fact, within easy reach of their kitchen cupboards. Uh, so uh, some plates out of the cupboard, uh, four plates. Uh, we'll we'll just remind listeners again in just a few moments how you arrange those. Uh, we'll go through this little exercise. Uh, do you need any cutlery out of the drawer? Or? That can come uh, after that. A couple of knives, whatever, or if you've got a biro, uh, just something long and thin. Just uh, a couple of those could be helpful as well. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. If you're just joining us, we're talking about Christian wholeness today and the idea of God-centered transformation. And you may have access to your kitchen cupboards. And uh, Dr. John Warlow, who's our guest, adult child and family psychiatrist. As I said, we're on the psychiatrist's couch this morning and we're talking about Christian wholeness. And if you've got four plates out of your kitchen cupboard and you've got them arranged in a square. So you've got two at the top, two at the bottom. So you've got like columns here. Uh, John, take us through this exercise. We're talking Christian uh, wholeness, God-centered transformation. How do we understand this? Okay, so on the left-hand side, those two plates or whatever they are, that is to do with self-centeredness. On the right-hand side of what you're looking at, that that column is to do with God-centeredness. There's left and right. Okay, that's simple. So uh, self-centeredness on the left, God-centeredness on the right. Now, take us into the car for a moment because you can do this illustration with a steering wheel. Yep, so your left hand is on the left side, your right (laughs) hand is on the right side, but when you're turning the steering wheel, they might get a bit mixed up. (laughs) Okay, all right. Now, take us through how we understand these columns. Okay, so um, and uh, basically what it's done for me is to see, is to help me to see how much of my life, whether it's my thoughts, even my feelings, my actions, and the way I relate with others can actually be self-centered, where I'm in the middle rather than God-centered. And that can also actually be not just self-centered, but sometimes, I know it's a lot nicer, being other-centered, but even then, not God-centered. Okay, so with these plates, uh, are you imagining that there is something on the plates uh, or do it, or the plates just representative of the selfishness and the uh, God-centeredness, the opposite side? How do we understand that? Yeah. Uh, in essence, what happened right at the beginning in Eden was there was no self-centered side. There was just the right-hand side. In fact, there was just that top right-hand plate and so, Neil, here we need to look at the top and the bottom, if we can as well. Okay, so the top and the bottom. The top two plates, they are flourishing. They're successful. That's where you're going well. And the bottom two plates are where you're struggling, uh, suffering, not going well. Okay, if we're doing good driving technique here, we've probably got our hands on the top part of the steering wheel. 
But a lot of us uh, will drive with our hands sometimes on the bottom part of the steering wheel. So how does that relate if you're driving right now? So what I do sometimes when I'm driving and I'm feeling uh, struggling, I'm not having a good day, I put my hands literally at the bottom uh, of the steering wheel and I look at maybe my left hand and my right hand and ask God to search me what's going on. Am I self-centered? Or am I actually being transformed into a God-centered way of living? Okay. Now, if I'm appreciating that, you know, all of my focus is on the self-centered side, or then I'm, uh, you know, into the uh, the top and the bottom, or my hands are on the bottom of the steering wheel because I'm just not, I've got, I haven't got God at the, you know, I'm not holding on to, to God's transformative power on the top. Uh, How am I understanding that I might make a change here? Uh, And I think that's the question. And for me, the bottom right, which is God-centered struggling, is as much uh, and often even more important for transformation, that sort of experience, than actually putting your hand up on the top right hand part of the the steering wheel. But that's where God wants us to get to, is to that place of God-centered flourishing so that we, like Jesus in Philippians 2, where he was top right, he came down to us to bring us back up. Top right people go down, top left people let down or put down others. How is the mind a part of all of this, John? Because I imagine that what's going on if we're talking uh, self-centeredness, God-centeredness, you know, uh, the idea of God flourishing or I'm struggling with this idea of God and transformation, uh, the mind is an important element here as to what has to be somehow rather adjusted or is it an adjustment or is it a healing? I wonder whether you've got thoughts. So uh, the mind, in my view, which consists a lot of what we think about and what we feel, as well as our intelligence and levels of energy, can be a window into our heart and actually help us to really see what's going on for us. The mind can be affected from things from the past or from things from the present. And the beauty of the Christian wholeness framework it's help is that it can help us to be real and to really pray, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and my feelings. I imagine that uh, what's going through our thoughts and our feelings uh, is what we're mostly focused on. But what you're saying is you have to take this other dimension to the heart and to recognize that the heart transformation is where the long-term change will come from. That's right. And for me, Neil, that's it. Um, With anxiety, with sadness, with stress, and so on, it really helps me to go into what's going in my heart, particularly in terms of my self-esteem and my sense of security, my sense of who I am as a person, and thirdly, my sense of control or lack of it. John, you were talking a little earlier about your own story. Uh, How do you relate this idea with the plates or the steering wheel uh, to your own story and how you might have discovered that there was something that you needed to pursue, an issue of the heart that was going to correct some of those dysfunctions or some of those 
wrong ways of of uh, being self-centered. How do you talk about your own story like that? For me, I'm now 63. It's been a lifelong journey. Uh, at the age of seven, I was sent away from my parents, having previously been brought up by a nanny as a missionary kid in India. And that cost a lot. I've just come back from the UK from burying my mum. And I was able to say to her, I, Mum, I know that it hurt you, but it actually destroyed us as a family and left us alone, which is why at the age of seven I had nothing else to do but come to Christ. You were the kid who only saw your parents twice a year. And that isolation does something to a child and uh, separates you from your family and all the influences that come from your family. If you have isolation and abuse, getting back to today being a day of apology for those who are being abused, that is about the worst thing you can experience. Grace, uh, gratefully, I did not experience abuse. Okay, so when you reflect on those things and how you were shaped from the isolation and the the, uh, the uh, disconnection from your family and you recognize that that's had an effect on you, uh, were you seeing that coming out in all sorts of different behaviors in your life? And it came out particularly at a moment when I was 28. I was there at Bible College with my wife-to-be and a member of staff, and we were just praying. And I suddenly had a flashback of about 20 years prior to that when I saw my mother disappearing as the train went off Delhi Station. I would not see her for a very long time. Back then, months and months didn't compute with my small brain. It just meant I wasn't going to see her. And there at 28, I burst into tears. And that catapulted me into realizing that, hey, there is something between spirit, which I was familiar with, and my relationship with God, and body, which I was familiar with as a medical doctor. And that is the mind and the heart. It thrust me in my pursuit for wholeness. Uh, let me just bring in this a little bit of a concern here, because... When you're in a psychiatrist's office and you might, I don't know, do you have a nice psychiatrist's couch that people sit on? I mean, you know, that's the uh, that's the image that we might have in our mind and that might not be the modern way that a psychiatrist's office looks. But, but this idea of, uh, you know, let's go back to your childhood years and tell us about your childhood. Undoubtedly, what you're sharing now, that is very, very important. And yet... In the hands of someone who's not a qualified practitioner to do that, we may actually be crossing a line into some dangerous territory. Uh, just a little a caution, a cautionary warning, perhaps, about how you actually start to remember some of those instances from your background. You're absolutely right, Neil. We talk about three questions which we are actually using in our connect group we teach them the entry question to say to another how are you it's a knock on the door if people are safe they'll let you into their heart and people can who are listening today they can actually try that when was the last time someone actually came to you and said how are you how are you really then there's the centering question secondly which is okay to ask Anyone can ask them, which is basically something along the lines of, what is that like for you? Neil, say, what is that like for you? What is that like for you? 
<laughs> or am I supposed to tell you what I'm feeling right now? <laughs> and that allows us to go in yes. as far as we feel safe. There's a third question, which is the one you're referring to, which we call linking questions, which are questions which go right right back down to the past. And that's where you've really got to be careful because it can open a can of worms. And that is, have you ever been like this before or when do you, do you think that started? Just be careful with that linking question. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes in the lead up to the news, but if I was asking you here, what does it mean that God's presence uh, is involved in this situation of turning us from uh, unwholeness to wholeness, I mean, uh, brokenness, dysfunction to wholeness, when you are in fact talking about people's past and their lives, how important is it for them to appreciate that God was there even when that dysfunction or that hurt was happening? It's so important to realize that God is there in their memories now uh, regarding what happened back then. God is there in their memories now as regards what happened back then. Not only that, but while God saw what was happening back then, and although he did nothing, and we can talk about that, or it f might feel as though he did nothing, and I know what that looks like from my background. Where was God when I was alone? And um, that it's important to realize that God wept back then. God wept back then. It should not have happened. That was left-hand-sided going back to the square. It was left-hand-sided wrong. John, if we want to really get to the crux of this whole issue of how we change, how we change from being broken, self-centered to God-centered and transformed, and this, this obviously results in a, a different way of behaving, a different way of thinking. All of these things are so wonderful. But we talked about the plates just before the news, four plates arranged at two at the top and two at the bottom. We also said this works if you're driving a car and you've got a steering wheel and you've got your you've got four quarters of your steering wheel. Uh, the two at the top were about the way of flourishing. The two at the bottom were about being broken. Uh, let's talk about how you actually make change happen. Where do we go from here? The first step, Neil, is to be real, is to be real. And so often when we're feeling unsafe about ourselves or unsafe with others, we have defenses. But it's those who are real who admit to themselves and even to others. That's where change starts. Well, sometimes we don't want to admit. And I imagine that it's harder for that person to change because they won't see any need. But for the one who says, you know what, I am self-centered. In fact, I feel like a hypocrite sometimes when I'm as a, as a Christian. I'm trying to be a person for others, but really, I'm really all about myself. Uh, there's a certain sense of hypocrisy there. If you want to recognize that change ought to happen, it, this idea of actually having some level of self-assessment is the, the most important thing, isn't it? It's the first step, and I am so good at pointing my finger at others, maybe at churches or at even institutions, but not looking at the three fingers pointing back at me. 
And as you now have whatever four objects which might be in front of you, just spend a moment now and reflect and ask this question, which was pretty well the first question God said to man, which was, where are you? Have a look at those four objects. Are you struggling or are you flourishing? Are you being self-centered or God-centered? Just make a mark or whatever. Put something else where you might be in any part of your life and be free to be real. As, uh, as long as you're feeling safe enough to be real, be real about where you're at. Not everybody is at the bottom of the barrel uh, in brokenness, although there are some people who are, and maybe they're people who find their way to a psychiatrist practice and they need that extra special help. Uh, for most of us, we're not necessarily struggling with that deep brokenness, but we're treading water, we're going nowhere, we know that we need to change, we just are comfortable in our own self-centered skin. What do we do then if we're that sort of person and wanting to go on to bigger, brighter, better wholeness things uh, and to actually make that move into a, a new higher uh, capacity? It's nearly harder if we're going better and more comfortable to actually change. And that's where I think... Firstly, I pray, ask God, God, where am I? Search me, know me, try my heart and my thoughts and see what, where, what wicked ways there might be in me. I might be going incredibly well in my relationships, financially, I'm feeling good and so on. But God, what about you? Where do you think I am? And one really good test is this. If I'm actually going well, who am I bringing up? Who am I going down to? to lift up because if I'm not actually doing that then maybe I'm just doing things by myself for myself uh, there's one of those uh, quadrants one of those quarters uh, that is like in the flourishing side of the equation which is the top uh, the top two or the top of the steering wheel uh, but one of those is flourishing even in self-centeredness uh, how do you actually make this sort of change you recognize that you know what I am really self-centered but I'm flourishing, and you're talking about that. How do I swap sides to the God-centered flourishing? It's really hard if you're flourishing and going well and self-centered. Jesus did not actually spend much time with those people. He actually spent time with those who are struggling, who had find it a lot easier actually to bend their knee and to come home. I know you love that verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, not being conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind and then being able to test those good and perfect things in God's will. How important is that verse of Scripture? Because it's such a well-known, and a lot of people have that memorized. For a lot of people, like me, that's like one of my favorite Bible Scriptures. And, and for those people who say, well, that's not my favorite Bible Scripture, don't really relate to it. What are your thoughts about just how important that idea is of, uh, of being transformed? 
How long have we got, Neil? Two hours or what? <laughs> and you've got to give us the answer in 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. So this is cognitive behavioral change. Let my mind be transformed. I'm offering my body behavioral change as a living sacrifice. I am so glad that Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 was not Romans 1, 1 and 2, because an awful lot happens prior to Romans 12, and it then says, because of that, or so, or therefore, hey, we can change inside out. And that is so relevant to me. What's actually happened before to give me that power to change in a holistic, God-centered way? Uh, Give us a little insight here, John, into what happens when the change is taking place. Uh, Because sometimes it's good to get a picture of what the whole life looks like. Uh, So when it comes to yourself personally and uh, the way you are as a parent, the person that you are in your marriage, I imagine these are the practical outworking behaviors that actually show what a whole person looks like. Give us a little impression of what the whole Christian actually looks like. So for me particularly, it's behind the walls of my home where I can actually experience shame and failure and despair as a person, as a husband, as a parent. And so what I have done over the years is to take my shame to his unfailing love, like such in Romans 5, it says, if we've been saved by him, how much more now, even when I've mucked it up, am I, um, am I going to be able to be his? That's Romans 5. Romans 8, nothing is going to separate me from him. I can take my shame and exchange it for his unfailing love, even when I've mucked it up as a husband or as a father or just personally. When we first come to Christ and put our faith in him, usually someone says this word, repent. And we often, I think, at the beginning of our Christian walk, don't understand fully what that means. But when you're describing you're at home and you recognize your own failures, you become aware of what God's perfection is and where we fall short. This idea of having a level of humility, and when you're led into these ideas and you recognize you can see yourself in the picture, this is where this word repentance and the turning away from those things and humbling yourself before God comes to the fore. It's a word which is not used much in churches now. It's a word which Jesus used pretty well, the first word in Mark, repent the kingdom of god is 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 here for me it's literally this u turns are permitted u turns are permitted and for me a u turn is as simple as a b c admit i'm going down the wrong street um b is believe that he can change me and i can br- bring my shame to his unfailing love and my guilt to his forgiveness, my despair, will anything change to his freedom? And then because of that belief in him, that he loves me, that he's forgiven me, that he has, Romans 6, freed me, then I can do the C, which is I can do a U-turn, because so wonderfully U-turns are permitted. 
That story that Jesus told about the prodigal son who wanted his inheritance, went off and squandered it in a far country, came to his senses and realized that as he was feeding the pigs, he'd have a better deal if he was back home, restored in his relationship with his father. Sometimes we think of that as just a story that turns us from where we were as a sinful person and brings us to a point of salvation. What I can hear you saying, John, is that that story is relevant for us as we grow as Christians and as we seek wholeness. Absolutely. And in fact, the older brother who didn't do the U-turn, that's also relevant to us. And for me, it's so more, much more important that I can actually be more like the younger brother who was real and was able to come to himself and actually said, my shame is so big, I'm not even worthy to come home. Move me into the slaves' quarters. The answer from the father was not uh, arguing or debating that. He didn't even answer that question. He just said to his servants, go and let my boy know he is my son. Here, bring the robe, bring the ring. And for me, it's like coming home again. And I'm so totally grateful I can come home again and again. In fact, I really like the word again, again. Well, let's say it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking about the plates. We got those out of the cupboards and went to the drawer and got uh, a knife and fork or a couple of knives. Uh, you said go to get some cutlery. This brings us to something very important in understanding where you might see yourself with the four plates or with your hand on the steering wheel because this cutlery can represent the work of the cross. Uh, give us a little insight here into how you can understand a movement towards wholeness uh, when you understand these very simple illustrations you're sharing. Firstly, put the knife and fork or the two pens in the shape of a cross. Have them separate from the square. On the left-hand side of that cross is your spirit position where you're dead in sin. You've never come to Christ. On the right-hand side is your spirit position where you have come to Christ. The younger brother had actually been born again, um, as had the older brother. They were both sons of the father. And just see where you are. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever come for that first time? And if you have, then look to the right-hand side of that vertical or the uh, the vertical pen or knife or whatever. Look to the right-hand side um, of that side below the horizontal one. That's illustrating your spirit position that you are a child of God. Okay, and when we talk about this idea of coming home uh, and the cross, uh, we're talking about changing where you are on that quadrant, where you are with the plates and with the steering wheel, uh, making that transition change now. Is this a matter of prayer? Is this a matter of confession? How do you actually assume new levels of wholeness? Do you have to name those things that you recognize, uh, the things that have got you out of kilter? Uh, what do you do here, John? So you've got those four objects in front of you. The two on the top 
two on the bottom. That's how you're functioning. You've already asked God, where are you? You might be putting your hands on the steering wheel. I don't know whether they're above or below. Squeeze the one which is really uh, identifying where you're at. Then underneath those four objects, place that shape of the cross underneath that. And you have the left-hand side of the, of the four objects aligned with the left-hand side of the cross and the right-hand side of your functioning aligned with the right-hand side of the cross. The, the, the cross in, indicates your spirit position. The square indicates your functioning. Uh, there's an old uh, tract that used to be distributed, and I'm sure it still is, uh, this idea of the cross and the cross being like a bridge from one side of a mountain to another, and the cross is in the middle, and there you are crossing over from your selfish side to a divinely appointed side. That's exactly right. So this, in a way, is a follow-on from those four spiritual laws. And if you have been born again, you have crossed over. You cannot be unborn. You've crossed over. You belong there. And if you have, if there's any part of you on the left-hand side, you can now come back home to where you belong and just be real. Do a U-turn, come just like the younger brother did in Luke 15, come back to his love, his forgiveness, his freedom. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020. On Vision Christian Radio. Dr. John Warlow, our guest, and just a couple of minutes remaining in our conversation. Uh, John, let me ask you one final idea here. The idea of coming home. Uh, we've caught that from you. It's just been a wonderful idea. And, uh, you know, talking about the prodigal son, talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, not being transformed, not being conformed any longer to the ways of this world. This idea of coming home, though, might not mean that everything is glowing and beautiful when you have come home. How ought we expect wholeness to look having come home to God? Having come home to God through doing this U-turn, then you still may be struggling. Yes, it's good to retry to work towards flourishing. We encourage everyone to do that. But actually, it's more important to be God-centered than it is to be succeeding. That's the issue. Okay. The important thing is not to be on the self-centered side of the equation, but to be transformed and be on the God-centered side of the equation. And then you can work towards flourishing. And I imagine that whole civilizations have benefited from this idea. This is not just for an individual, it's for a family, it's for a community, it's for a country, it's for a culture. Now, let me just talk about your books for just a few moments. Uh, Cure for Life, The Cure for Life, The God-Centered Transformation. The second one is The God-Centered Relationships. You've got one in the making that will no doubt be not too long away, all about the biblical foundations for these things. As a psychiatrist, uh, people are able to read your work. It's easy to read. Uh, This is something that people who are in counseling situations in churches can get a hold of. Uh, Getting your book uh, from places like Kurong, or from Amazon, and listeners in the most remote places, if they have access to the internet, they'll be able to order your book online. You can also go to drjohnwarlow.com, D-R, 
John Warlow, W-A-R-L-O-W dot com. And you can read John's story there and you can access his book from there. Uh, John, want to say thank you so much for taking some time to come in and uh, share your insights, how valuable they have been. Just outstanding. And I want to thank you so much for sharing those with listeners today on 2020. And no doubt there'll be an opportunity sometime in the very near future for uh, another conversation just like this. Dr. John Warlow, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Neil. Privilege. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.